Pushkin. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. For a long time now, we've had a lot of technological innovation in virtual things, in bits. You know, the internet, digital images, large language models, etc. We have had noticeably less innovation in actual things, in things made of atoms, things that would hurt if you dropped them on your foot. Now, that seems to be changing. People are using innovations in bits, improvements in computing and communications and AI, to drive innovation in actual things, everything from batteries to garbage cans to airplanes. Next up, robots. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem, the show where I talk to people who are trying to make technological progress. My guest today is Peter Chin. He's the co-founder and CEO of Covariant. Peter's work at Covariant was partly inspired by the work of Fei-Fei Li, who coincidentally is the AI researcher I interviewed just last week on the show. Peter's problem is this. How do you take the AI breakthroughs of the past decade or so and make them work in robots? So um, to really tell the story of robotics, like we have to tell the story of robotics even without AI. Like robotics for a very long time is a field that you would actually find in mechanical engineering departments of universities. Uh Like Uh it's largely a hardware problem. It's a control problem. Like how can you design the motor well? How can you design the gearbox well? Yeah, right. How can you design like the control algorithm so that you can get the robot to a exact XYZ location in the 3D physical world like without yeah. oscillating around it's and you can making get the there. thing move. How do you build the parts that make the thing move the way we want it to move? Exactly. Like it's yeah. it's all about like telling this piece of machinery that we call robot to do the thing as exactly we tell it to do. Uh-huh. Right? Which turned out to be like obviously a fairly difficult engineering problems, and that's why people have worked on it for many decades. Yeah. But 
it has gotten really good. And so this is like this is like the classic kind of image you see from a car assembly line of like a robot arm, you know, whatever, uh, welding a part onto the the body of a car. Or something. Exactly. Again and again exactly. and again all day long. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So they're good at robots are clearly good at welding the same part onto the same car a million times. What are the limits of that approach? What were the problems people were bumping up against? Yeah, so the problem is that in order to use that kind of robotics, it has a really big limitations on your environment, right? You basically uh-huh. need to be able to reduce your task to be solvable by repeated motion. Right? Uh-huh. And so if you look at like how like these kind of assembly lines that use classical robots, they always fit the material into exactly the same place. Right? Uh-huh. So no matter how, how the way that it came in from their suppliers and whatnot, you always need to load them up in exactly the same way. Uh-huh. Because like there's really no adaptivity at all that these robots have because they're just executing the same thing again and again. It just it has to be, they're very precise, but their whole environment has to be super homogenous the same exactly. every time. Yeah. Exactly. Like so like that's the problem one. But that's very difficult. Like not everything can be reduced that way. The second problem with it is even in the case that you can reduce the problem to that kind of pure mechanical repeated motion, it's still very expensive because you still need to program a robot to do that one specific task. Uh-huh. And if you change your task slightly, you need to reprogram everything uh-huh. typically from scratch. And that means like, Robots are not just extremely rigid, which limits like the range of capabilities that they can um, reach and do. And it's also very expensive, even on the very fixed rigid capability that you want right. to do. And so you need something that's the same every time, and you need to be doing a lot of it because otherwise the the economy of scale just doesn't work out. It's too expensive to try and get the robot to do something else. Exactly. So I know... That you, uh, as a as a student, as an undergrad and and a and a grad student, if I have it right, you worked in the lab of this uh, professor at Berkeley, who for a long time had been trying to teach robots to fold towels. Yes, which is an amazing problem because it's one of those ones that seems so simple, right? It seems like way easier than riveting parts onto a car or whatever, but turned out to be, in fact, much harder for robots, right? And I feel like that's telling. Like, why was that so hard for robots? And what do we learn from that? When you do welding on a car body, like as we have discussed, like you can reduce the problem to just simple mechanical repeated motion. But because like these, a piece of fabric is flexible, is deformable, uh-huh. like it can come in many, many different kinds of shapes. It has many uh-huh. different possibilities, right? And it's much like, more think- complex than a than a car body. Weirdly, not intuitive. Exactly. But, it, but when you exactly. think about it, it's like, oh, it could have a little fold. It has here. a lot it more a possibilities. Yeah, it has right. a lot more possibilities uh, right. on how it can present itself to yeah. you. Yeah. And because exactly of that, right? Recall like the first limitation of um, traditional robotics, which is it can only work with problems that can be reduced to repeated motion like uh-huh. and towel folding and folding um apparel items is exactly one of those things that cannot be reduced because it's just a little bit motion. different every time the towel's a little bit of a different shape it might be sitting on the table and folded over some weird exactly. way exactly like yeah. if it's folded onto itself like how much is it folded onto itself like how much wrinkle does it have like all yeah. of those make a big difference yeah. in terms of what the robots should do with it and so that like it's a really good example of something that's 
um, traditional robotics cannot solve, and you really need AI uh, um, to solve it. And when when your co-founder started working on the problem, it was sort of before the kind of modern era of AI that we're living in now, right? And I yeah. I read that there was this big moment in kind of the origin of the company was uh, when uh, this database essentially of of labeled images called ImageNet was released, yeah. which yeah. was interesting to me because I just talked to Fei-Fei Li for this oh, show. Great. So we, yeah, and Fei Fei is actually one of the advisor investor. Uh, yes, at just a coincidence. Well. For the record, she didn't put me in touch with you. But tell me about sort of why why ImageNet was meaningful in the in the birth of of your company. Yeah, uh, the, the, there was a actually a bigger lesson here than just robotics. Um, yeah. The bigger lesson is that um, artificial intelligence is actually becoming simpler and simpler. Huh. Like when you look at the field of artificial intelligence 15, 20 years ago, like it used to be many different subfields. Like the people that work on robotics have a completely different tool sets than the people that work on computer vision. And the people uh -huh. that are working on computer vision had a different tool sets from people that are working on natural language processing. Well, and they feel different, right? Like teaching computers to understand uh, an image, you know, to sort of deal yeah. with an image of the world and understand what it means feels quite different than teaching a computer to uh, have a conversation. It does. Yeah. It's not obvious that you would use the same tools to do exactly. both of those things. And, and that yeah. definitely was the consensus. Like, why would it be the ago. same? Yeah. yeah, why would it be the same? Like, it feels very different. Like, it feels like yeah. you need different kind of data. Uh, and and I, I would just like say it, essentially the field of AI is becoming more and more unified. Like uh -huh. the methodology the model that you would use is actually becoming similar and similar. And sometimes it's even the same across these very different uh -huh. fields of robotics, computer vision, language. So, so it's basically you build a neural network and then you just train it on a bunch of images or train it on a bunch of documents. And, and what you train it on is what determines sort of what mm -hmm. it's good for? Is it, is it like that? It, it, that 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 basically is it. Like it's, yeah. it's like um, it instead of... Each subfield coming up with different. I would think about it as like hand-programmed intelligence, right? Like uh -huh. let's let's try to break down what does a sentence means, like break it into different parts. And yeah. when you approach a computer vision problem, or well, let's try to come up with different features, and some features represent an edge, some features represent a background. Right. Instead of like trying to manually program the kind of quite human intelligence into. AI, you're basically taking a step back and say, I'm just going to create a very flexible learning mechanism, which is an artificial neural net. And yeah. then we're just going to feed it a lot of data. And if you have different types of problems that you're solving, you're just feeding like this neural net different types of data. Right? And, and But it's still like really the same kind of mechanism. Like then that is a drastic departure from how artificial intelligence used to be done. Yeah. And so in that world, then the differentiation is just in the data set that you are feeding the totally. model. Totally. And and in fact, like, I mean, this is like jumping way forward in time, like as we yeah. were still talking about ImageNet. But if you look at really the most popular technologies today, these large language models, when you use different companies, large language models, it's really what you're saying, like as if I'm using GPT, chat GPT-4 versus using Google's bot backed by Gemini versus yeah. Anthropic's Cloud 
or Cohere's command model. You're just naming all the different big language, large language models now. Yeah, Yeah. and like when you think about these different big language models, you are just really referring to the different data sets that sit behind that they were trained on. So this is interesting kind of abstract big picture talk. I want to kind of map this now onto the story of of covariant the story of your company right so so we're going back in time now tell me about the moment when you decided to start the company what's going on yeah so the moment that we decide to start a company is um you refer to this ImageNet moment like this yeah. like large data set that actually first time like really taught people that you can train a network to solve one specific task really well, right? right? Like so this that, is 2012. There's this, this big moment when a, 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 a neural net uh, trains on ImageNet and does a really good job, way better than anybody has ever done, when any than any model has ever done, of identifying objects in pictures, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. That was really significant because that means if you can collect a lot of data for a single task, and if you can get a group of PhDs to work on a model for that single task, you basically have AI. Like you can solve that task uh-huh. really well. Uh-huh. Like I mean, uh-huh. like it, it, you, you might need to iterate on your data. You might need to iterate on your algorithm, but ultimately you can solve that task really well. You're basically saying if you can gather the data, if you can gather a shitload of data of, what, of whatever kind, then you can get AI around that for data. that. For yeah. that kind, right? Yeah. And which is like why you you saw artificial intelligence like really started working like after 2012. Like like yeah. Google, Facebook, all of these companies like have a lot of AI-based applications. But they are largely not democratized. Like because like in uh-huh. order to get any single AI working, you still need a lot of data and you still need a p- team of PhDs to work on it. Yeah. So it was a huge breakthrough in AI, but it was not sufficient for really widespread usage just okay. because the barrier to create one AI is so high. Okay, And then comes um, the second inflection point in the history of AI, which is really the start of foundation models. Like, so like I'm talking about the most initial version of GPT, right? Like I'm okay. talking about like these large language models that are trained on multiple tasks so that they are incredibly generalizable. Like you can ask it to do something new and it can do it really well. Yeah. And also it performed better at single task than specialized model. And so so just to be clear, like until a few years ago, people thought reasonably that if you want to build AI to whatever, translate language, right? You would... Work really hard on that. You would exactly. try and build an AI specifically designed to be really good at translating text from one language to another. But yep. this really surprising result, this really surprising thing that emerged from just work people were doing was, in fact, that's not the best way to get AI exactly. to translate language. It's just throw everything you can, all the words on the internet at an AI model and just say, Figure out everything about language. Figure out yep. how to answer questions about history and figure out how to translate and figure out how to give me a recipe for, you know, pasta. And yeah. it turns out that latter technique gets you better results at each specific thing than trying to build specialized models. Exactly. And that is really the magic of foundation models. Like, And, yeah. and that is the thing that was not obvious to people outside of OpenAI for a very long time. Uh-huh. And because we came from OpenAI, a lot of the founding team at Covariant came from OpenAI, we saw that insight earlier. 
And that insight allow us to start Covariant to build foundation models for robotics way before other people even believed in the approach. Uh-huh. Even people in the field. Even people in the field. So, so yeah. So you were. When did you go to OpenAI? You were. You went to work at OpenAI. At we we went to OpenAI when it was about ten ish people. I would say okay. like sometime in 2016. Okay, and and when did you sort of personally have this realization? And you're not the only one to have it. But when do you see that the power of foundation models? There are two things on it. Like, so the first thing is that、um, early on at OpenAI, we believed in the idea of scaling, like really scaling、uh-huh. up the model and scaling up the data sets. And you actually see models getting sufficient, like getting increasingly smarter as you、yeah. actually scale them up.、Um, so one is that, and then the other one is, I would say we we had conviction in foundation model for robotics. Probably earlier than foundation model for language,、okay. and this like the one key thing is that、um, if you think about building a large language model that try to compress the whole internet of knowledge, you still need to compress many things that are not quite related to each other, right? Like maybe you are browsing on Wikipedia and you have to recite the composition of materials of soil on the moon, and you also need to learn how to play chess. Well, there is. There's really nothing in common with these two things,、yeah. um, these two parts of the knowledge. But you are asking、okay. one AI model to learn all of these, and the place that make a lot of sense to us is that there's only one physical world. Like even when you have many different robots that need to do different things in different factories, different warehouses, they are still interacting in the same physical world. And so, building a foundation model for robotics like has this. Amazing property of grounding that, like, no matter what kind of tasks that you're asking this foundation、yeah. model to learn, well, it's just learning the same sets of physics, like the, the same. The sets grounding of, is the literal ground. What the model is the literal under- ground exactly. And, <laughs> the model and so, has to understand just how the physical world works, and that you drop a thing, it will fall, and and exactly like, and、yeah. if it's if it's something that is like. Deformable, you push it, it would move a little bit. If something is rigid, like it would slide. If something is rollable, it would roll away. Like these are the type of things that, like, no matter where you are on Earth and what type of robots, like body you are using, is the same, right?、Yeah. And and so, like, if you can build one single foundation model that can learn from all of these different data, it would be incredibly powerful. So just to just to state it clearly, so you're at OpenAI, you're seeing the power of foundation models. You decide to leave and start the company that is now Covariant. Like, what are you setting out to do when you when you start the company? Yeah. So when we started Covariant, we had this really strong conviction that,、um, like, there should be a future that has a lot of autonomous robots doing all the things that are repetitive, injury prone, dangerous, right?、Yeah. And so、um, that can really. Revolutionize the physical world, make it a lot more abundant,、um, and to really enable that future of autonomous robots, you need really smart AI. And、yeah. like because of the insight that、um, we just talk about, like we believe that AI had to be a foundation model. We believe like you should have single model that learn from all these different robots together and become smarter together. So, so I mean, so the basic idea is the the dream is to build one. 
AI foundation model for robots. Basically, yeah. In the same way that you can ask ChatGPT anything in language and it can answer you in language about any different thing, you have a model where you just sort of make it be the brain of any robot and that exactly. robot can sort of see the world and move and pick things up and behave in the world. Exactly. And um, there's like one key problem. Like the key problem is that unlike um, foundation model for language, um, where you can scrape the whole internet of text as your pre-training data, yeah. there's not there's nothing that's equivalent um, in the case of robotics. I mean, there are some images online, there are some YouTube videos online, but by and large, like they don't really give you um, the same type of data that are in the form of robots interacting with the world. And the big problem is because there's just not that many robots that are just doing yeah. interesting things in the world. And, and so a big chunk of like what we set out to build as a company is recognizing that we need to build foundation model for robotics. And in order to build foundation model for robotics, you need to have large data sets. And in order to create large data sets, you have to have robots that are actually creating value for customers in production at scale. Yeah. Because if you're only collecting data in your own lab, there's only so much data. And, and so like, I would say um, the last six years of Covariant is largely focused on really building autonomous robot systems that work really well for customers. And they're uh -huh. doing interesting things to a level of autonomy and reliability that have not been hit before. In other words, Peter and his colleagues at Covariant built robot arms that businesses are paying to use out in the world. But to some extent, those robot arms are just a means to an end. Because they're not just doing warehouse work, they're collecting more and more data that Peter and his colleagues are feeding back into their AI model to try and make it get better and better. In a minute, what those robot arms are actually doing out in the world and what they're learning. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. It's nice to work hard, 
some of the time. And then it's also nice to take a break. But as an investor, you want your money to be working for you all of the time. And that is what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help your money do. Betterment has automated technology, things like low-cost ETFs, which are basically cheap, efficient ways to invest. And if you're parking some of your money in cash, Betterment offers a high-yield cash account where your money can earn 11 times the national average. Betterment also offers automated rebalancing. They keep your money balanced across asset classes like stocks and bonds in the way that you want, so you're not always having to decide, oh, I need to buy some more of this or sell some more of that. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. So let's talk about what the robots you have built are doing out in the world, besides generating the data that you will use to train the next generation of robots. What what are they actually doing in the world right now today? Yeah, so... So when we started the company, we surveyed the landscape um, pretty carefully, and then we selected warehouse and logistics as the primary sector that we focus on today. When you are shopping on online um, um, shops, like when you click a button and something shows up next day, there's tremendous amount of complexities behind that backend uh-huh. logistics of getting things to you. And typically, it's estimated that each item is touched 15 to 20 times between when you click a button to buy and when it shows up wow. at your door, right? So that, and, that, and contrast, 15, that 15 to 20 touches of getting a thing from the warehouse to your door is, is your opportunity. Exactly, right? And yeah. like combining with that, people don't want to drive in the middle of the night two hours into a suburb to work in a um, warehouse. Like It's just a kind of job that has extremely high turnover rate, like not a yeah. kind of job that people stay there for a very long time. And so there's a tremendous amount of desire for more robotics and more automations in those environments to do picking up objects, uh, sorting them into the right compartment or boxes, and then packing it nicely and then shipping it out um, to you uh, as a customer. Tell me a little bit more specifically. I mean, what's one thing one of your robots is doing today in a warehouse somewhere on the earth? Yeah, so we would get like pretty... uh, detail and geeky here. And so we'd actually tell you a little bit of like the nitty gritty details of like yeah, how you operate one of, of those warehouse. Yeah. Like, so let me describe what the robot is doing. Like the robot is doing is I have a tote full of items that come up to the robots. Like, okay. And then I would need to grab one thing at a time. Like, it's which just is just like a, a tote bag with a bunch of different stuff in it. A bunch of different stuff in it. Yeah. Like, and, and like, because like these stuffs are all lay out in a chaotic um, way and like they're overlapping with each other if you're not careful you might drag out multiple items at the same time okay. and these items all have different shapes like they might be transparent they might be reflective they might so be hard to see this is hard like to go back to our old like riveting parts on a car is easy folding a towel is hard this is hard because it's heterogeneous things look different they come differently every time this is hard exactly. for robots hard for a sort of classical robot to do um, impossible for a classical impossible, robot. Impossible, not just hard, impossible. Can your robots do it? Yeah, they can do how, it extremely well. How did you solve? How did you solve it? How does it work? 
in the end of the day, like it, the way that it operates is very similar to how like humans vision system work. Like we have two okay. eyes and then yeah. like by two eyes looking at something like we, like we can figure out what's the depth of certain item, like because okay. like, our two eyes can triangulate a, a single point uh, in the 3D world. And it's the same kind of mechanisms. Yeah. And so like you can just use multiple regular cameras, just like the one that you have on your iPhone. And uh-huh. by having multiple ones of those, like it, you give the neural net the ability to triangulate what's happening. Uh-huh. Um, just the way um, our two eyes allow us to see depth, essentially. Exactly. And, and, and are there we, other things like like weight i mean the arm is going to be picking things up like weight or whether you know presumably there's like could be a shirt in a plastic bag could be a box so some things are rigid some things are deformable yeah so what we have found is that if you just have a visual understanding of the world that is as robust as human you go a really long way right like so when i when i pick up a cup Right. Like I, I'm not doing a lot of calculations on my, how is my fingers force like exactly gets translated to the cup and making sure it holds. Right. It's part of the miracle of being a person though. Right. It's like a really hard problem to pick up. It's a very hard problem, but then like your brain subconsciously solve it for you. Like your, your system one thinking somewhat solves that for you. The thinking you don't have to think about. Yeah, Mm -hmm, exactly. And, and you can like imagine like when you do this, like, in fact, like even if my fingers are numb, I can still do this perfectly, like just yes. because, like, so yes. I I acquires this intuitive understanding of interaction with physical world so well that you can do it. So basically, vision vision gets you most of the way there. I would say vision, and then the ability to intuit physics from your visual input that you get. That's uh, a, that, that second one is wild, though. Like, I mean, intuit. I mean, intuit in the in the context of I mean, sort of. Make inferences. I mean, make intuit is a yeah. Okay, yeah. But um, but like by by intuit, I mean like it's not doing some kind of detail physical calculation. It's not doing write. math. It's not doing math. Yeah, it's doing like kind of high level pattern matching of well, if like based on how this thing looks, this is likely going to be a successful way to approach the item and interact um, with it. What? What's next? So what is next immediately is very exciting, right? We are now getting to a place that by we, I mean, we as an AI community has gotten to a place that we have enough computation power and algorithmic and modeling understanding that can allow us to extract a lot out of data, right? Uh Uh-huh. So from any given amount of data, you can get more. You can get more yeah. out of it, right? That's exciting for you because data is such a, a constraint on what you're trying to do. Presumably. Exactly. And, and then yeah. like we are building up this large robotics data set um, by tapping into a lot of these advances. Um, it gives us the ability to even get more out of the data sets that we are yeah. building and allow us to build smarter and better robotics foundation models that are that perform better at the current tasks that they're supposed to do, and also power more robots. When people talk about concerns around AI, they often kind of half-jokingly use the phrase killer robots, which is usually like a metaphor or something. But in your instance, because you are building robots and because you are building by design a model that is supposed to be used for lots of different purposes, I can, in fact, very easily imagine killer robot applications of your work. Like, that seems like a very plausible thing someone 
could do with it. Like, is that something you think about, worry about? I would say very fortunately, um, in the very near to medium term use cases, we are very safe because like all of these industrial robots are very much confined by the stations that they're designed in. Like, and because like industrial robots are heavy machineries that um, are subject uh-huh. to regulations and are very carefully, uh, they are like careful uh, design guidelines and compliance requirements for them. They are already by design safe. You're saying your your model is built for robots, basically for robot arms. I mean, is that essentially what the model you're building is really a foundation model for robot arms that are built to just be in one place, pick things up, put them down, that sort of thing. It's not a foundation model that you could a, a map onto a car or something, or even to a robot that walks around. It wouldn't work for that. That that would not be the near term use cases. Like so, like like because the near term use cases are more in this safe by construction setting. Yeah, like it allows yeah. us to not worry about that problem, and in fact, like have basically no way to misuse the technology in the very near term. Uh-huh. But I do agree with you. Like as we actually unleash this model to a larger set of use cases, like when these robots can actually interact with the world in a lot more freeform way, those yeah. are the cases that the safety considerations become a lot more important. And there's definitely a lot more work that needs to be done for that to be um, reliable. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. Okay, off the top of my head, here are some things that are always growing. The universe, I think, as I understand it. Um, the number of podcasts in the world that have ever been published, for sure. Also, businesses that use Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps businesses at every stage, from mom-and-pop shops to big publicly traded companies. Shopify helps businesses sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever businesses are selling, 
Shopify is there. Businesses can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify's AI-powered Shopify magic. There are big moments in every business, and Shopify can be there for all of them. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. There is a lightning round that we're going to do now for the end of the interview. (laughs) Um, What household chore do you wish that a robot could do? Cleaning up kitchen. Yeah, that would be amazing. But I don't like the cleanup of it. That seems like a really hard one. Like putting stuff away, basically. I'm wiping the counter, maybe less hard, but like putting stuff away seems like a really hard job for a robot. It is. And and these are the type of jobs that start to get to hardware limitation. Like these are the uh-huh. type of jobs that start to get to like you probably do want a humanoid robot. Like you probably do want something that kind of moves and conform to the human standard of interacting with the world. Because the kitchen is optimized, right? Or you would have to redesign the kitchen for a robot. and But then that would suck because then you couldn't get your plates because they'd be in some random spot or whatever. Okay, so you left OpenAI in 2017. In the past year, OpenAI became like this household word. GPT became a household word. Were you surprised as as a you know old school former open ai guy were you surprised by how how wild the world went for gpt or by how good it was how soon i was definitely surprised by the speed uh, of it i was surprised by the speed of both the technology's development and the speed of adoption um, by people uh-huh. but i was not surprised by the fact that it could be this big and, and it could be bigger you know when you were talking about sort of warehouse and getting data from, you know, picking and packing, basically, I thought, of course, as anyone would, of Amazon. And I've read that they're working on some kind of robot arm. I feel like they would just have so much data that they could gather if they wanted, just because they're so big. They have so many warehouses. I mean, the same way that, say, Google just gets tons of data every day with every Google search and the way people, like, I feel like that would be very hard to compete with. But we also don't need to compete with them. There are also like a very large world that uh, Amazon is not serving. Uh, and there are a lot of customers that don't have the same degree of engineering team data access um, um, as Amazon. And you could be the um, Shopify of, people... of you could be the Shopify of warehouse robots. There are all of these people that um, um, still need help, and we very gladly help them. What was the first robot you personally built? I think it's probably one of the first pick and place robot at Covarian. Like you didn't build ago. them when you were a kid, or in, I didn't build them when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, what uh, made you I, get into robots? I would say I'm an AI person first uh-huh. and robot person second. Um, and a big part of the interest in robotics is probably driven by my interest in AI. Like it just. Uh-huh. Um, like we have just not made as much progress for AI in the physical world as AI in the digital world. And to a large degree, like I think we have to make progress there because 
like ultimately we live in a physical world, like you're creating all these intelligence and amazing things in the digital world. That is all great, but where's AI in the physical world? Like this remarkably little progress um, I'm there despite how much AI has moved forward. And, and so to some degree, like it's a, it's driven by a conviction that like AI has to progress forward and AI will have a large impact in the physical world. What do you understand about robots that most people don't? I think the most interesting thing about robots um, that I would say like we understand at Covariant that maybe outside of the company don't is um, making one robot work is um, obviously hard and fun, but making a lot of robots work at scale for a lot of customers take a lot of operational discipline like uh-huh. it's, it's about like doing many many things right like before robots go into a facility like how should they prep the site so they the robots actually work um to ship robots at scale it's a um competencies that that requires a lot of operational excellence and that is yeah. something that like i would say like when most people think about robots like they think about it's like this sexy interesting technology they don't yeah. think about having to nail a thousand steps a thousand small steps well in order to have robots actually have an impact in the world at scale that's the leap from the academic lab to being a real company selling real products in the world mm-hmm. yeah great uh anything else you want to talk about no i enjoyed this conversation yeah likewise uh thank you Peter Chen is the co-founder and CEO of Covariant. Today's show was produced by Edith Russelo and Gabriel Hunter Chang. It was edited by Karen Chikurji and engineered by Sarah Brugier. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. 
from breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.